you know, I can come and I can do all these great things, but half the time, mom just wants me to sit there and she, she needs a good cry. She needs to be told you're doing an amazing job. Yes, your baby's screaming for the third hour straight, but you're doing amazing. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi, Ivy. Hey, thank so you good for to be being here. here. <laughs> so happy you're here. Hmm. So we've just been talking about so many amazing things before hitting record, which is something I find myself doing quite often. I want to just jump right in about how you got into this work through birth. I was actually living in New York just before becoming a doula and I was in the fashion industry there Hmm. and going through, I guess you could call it like a quarter life crisis, Mm -hmm. like just really questioning my identity as a person and like, what am I actually here on this planet for? And I moved back to Los Angeles and just so happened that two of my girlfriends were pregnant at the same time Hmm. and planning home births. And one of them introduced me to her doula. And as soon as I met this woman, I just had this wave of energy in my body where I was just, I just looked at her and I was, I just had that feeling like, I want to be you. (laughs) And I didn't even know what a doula was, but just the way she, yeah, she just had this peace and ease and je ne sais quoi in her Mm. body that was so radiant and magnetic to me. And so her teacher was having a training the very following week. And it was Judy Chapman, who's Mm, a really legendary trainer who at the time owned the Chapman Family Center. And I was her in her very last class of doulas that she taught before she retired. So it was just, you know, a synchronistic Mm -hmm. kind of confluence of things that happened. And as soon as I took that training, it became apparent to me why I was so drawn to it, unbeknownst to me, why I was so drawn to it, because I had never really been exposed to what is feminine power. We're taught how to become powerful as women if we are sexy and appealing to the male gaze, Mm -hmm. kind of like a bikini model would be like an exaggerated version of that. And we're taught how to be powerful if we compete Mm -hmm. in a masculine way, whether it's in business or in sports. But there was something about birth that really put me in touch with, oh, this is something that is, it's like the best kept secret. And of course they don't want us to know about this Mm -hmm. because if women knew that this is what it is to be a woman, the world would be very, very different. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And were you in your twenties, your thirties? What was the timeline? I was 26. Wow. Yeah. That it's been 10 time. years. Wow, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then did you, were you a birth doula for a while and also postpartum or what did that look like at the start of your journey? I started out as a birth doula 
was maybe a couple years into that, that I started having clients asking me to stay with them. They yeah. didn't want to say yeah. goodbye. Like, Don't go. You know, because I mean, I just think it's crazy that in so many birth doula packages, we have one postpartum yeah. visit and yeah. then it's like, see ya. Yeah. For the hardest part, which is, you know, that transition to becoming a mother. So after like the third or fourth mom was like in tears begging me to come back, I was like, I need to get some postpartum experience under my belt. Yeah. But that also speaks to you being able to hold space on both sides for women, you know, because I don't think all doulas can do that. You know, it's, I think birth and the postpartum, it can be just such different energy. And a lot of times you'll meet doulas and you just know they're a birth doula or you just know they're a postpartum doula. Like mm. I'm so much more postpartum doula vibes. Mm. I'm trained as a birth doula, but that is just not my energy level, you know? So it's just, it's interesting that mm-hmm. you can do both and mm-hmm. hold for both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe someday I'll do some births now that I've had two of my own kids, but. What makes you think that you're not oriented to birth? I'm not good on no sleep, mm-hmm. first of all, like yeah. really not. And then the fact that I have two kids that just doesn't make sense for our lifestyle. My husband works a normal, you know, like eight to seven job every day. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe as the girls get older, it's less of a thing. They'll be in school and just kind of on a schedule more. But Mm -hmm. to me, birth feels so much more like the sprint and the postpartum's more like the marathon. And Mm -hmm. I'm, if I had to be categorized as a runner, it's the long distance. Mm -hmm. And so- it just feels, I'm just much more calm. I don't like yelling. Don't. <laughs> Nobody should yeah. be yelling at a birth. I just have, as a birth doula, I have to say that. <laughs> or screaming. I screamed a lot yeah. at my birth. Did you? It felt great. Oh yeah, I was so vocal this time. I should say nobody should be yelling except the laboring woman. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, who knows? But anyway, I was just saying that that's beautiful that you could mm. represent in both realms so well. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You say you don't do well in no sleep. Cause I feel like very few people do well on yeah. no sleep, but one of the things that I've been seeing a lot as I've been you know noticing it in the last several years is doulas that will do these like back to back births and they'll be on like day four of no sleep. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's something I'm really passionate about shifting mm-hmm. in the birth world, like shifting away from this legacy of woman's work as martyrdom yes. and sacrifice. 100% And into giving from the overflow, giving from being fully mm-hmm. resourced and supported. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to support a woman at a birth and I've had no sleep, or worse, I'm jacking myself up on caffeine, yeah. our limbic systems are wired to mirror each other. Mm-hmm. And what kind of catecholamines is that putting in my client's body if that's the energy running through my system? And this has become so normal that we have doulas posting about this on Instagram yeah. of their fourth coffee or their you know second mm-hmm. birth in 24 hours. And so that's a conversation that I'm really interested mm-hmm. in shifting. I love that so much. It's really getting out of that patriarchal more is more is more is more and calming it down and being in our integrity and really able to serve that way and bump our prices up, you know, and not be in this martyrdom, like you said, and also this burnout. I mean, it's, it bums me out to see doulas that are so imbalanced. It's like they're giving so much in their work, hustling, 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 and then, you know, taking really bad care of themselves physically and not there for their families. You know, it's not... 
it isn't kind of being the model that we want to be showing our clients, you know? Exactly. And women suffer when we suffer, you know, from it. And it just mm-hmm. becomes that like cycle, that really intense cycle. And then it also feeds into women's worth, women's work, getting paid for what you're worth, you know, all of that, which is such a huge discussion. But I think, you know, I never thought about that of mirroring each other's limbic system. I mean, that's really deep. Absolutely. It's called limbic resonance. Mm. And I actually think that as a doula, that is the number one most important piece because it doesn't matter what I can do with a rebozo to turn a baby or what kind of aromatherapy I'm bringing to the birth. If I'm not entering into that space, Mm -hmm. embodying Mm -hmm. relaxation, that's what, that's the foundation of birth is these hormones flowing through the mother that we can have optimal oxytocin levels and we can have her physiology be supportive of the beta endorphins that are going to allow her to experience less pain Mm -hmm. and and more ease in the whole process. It's interesting what you also said about, um, you know, really valuing this and putting a value Mm -hmm. on it. I actually have a girlfriend who gave birth recently. And when she was hiring her postpartum doula, it was the last person she brought onto her birth team. And they were there at the meeting and her husband was there. And the doulas were talking about how they were going to make her Ayurvedic meals Mm -hmm. and be doing Abhyanga massage. And she wrote the check, they left. And her husband said, wow, this is a really luxury Mm. birth you're about to have. Mm. And she said she had to really like take a deep breath and and call upon her principles to be able to say like, yeah, and I'm totally worth this. And as it turns out, she ended up having what was really her ideal birth. Mm. And, you know, she did an amazing job. And afterwards, her husband had this realization of what he didn't know. Like he didn't know what he didn't know that the actual energy that a woman expends just having the baby is equivalent to running two marathons Mm -hmm. back to back. And then afterwards, breastfeeding is 500 calories a day, which is the equivalent of running five miles a day. Mm -hmm. And then you're up every couple of hours through the night. So (laughs) is is it a luxury to have somebody cooking for you and- helping your body repair. That's a necessity, you know? I mean, it really is. And people have been doing it for thousands of years. And it's so, I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about the 40 days is because it just makes sense. It's just simple. It makes sense. Yeah. And having been my own guinea pig, having not done it all with the first and having done it with the second, it was night and day. And I was almost six years older, Mm. you know? And my healing was so easy and so fast. Mm. And it's still one of the most love-filled, incredible moments and time in my life. You know, I just look, sometimes I just look back and yearn for those days because it was just so incredible. Mm. And, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about educating the partners also when you're pregnant (laughs) because the postpartum is such a huge thing and it's really setting the mom up and the entire family for health and healing, you know? Yeah. I mean, that has to have affected your relationship to be able uh, to be supported in that period. And I told my husband, I mean, because he always wanted, you know, more kids, the second one, and I didn't for a long time. And then when we really realistically started thinking about it, just theoretically, that was one of the things I was like, just prepare to throw money at me. Like that's what's going (laughs) to happen because you're going to spend those thousands of dollars from having a shit show postpartum and like your therapy, your body work for years to come. So you might as well just put it into your postpartum and thrive. 
you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And, you know, I had, it's funny though, like it actually, with two kids, a lot of that was also the nanny care. When I say like the money part, and I, I kind of planned out my postpartum care and then just knew when I wanted people to come in and help and support. Mm-hmm. So I kind of mm-hmm. like pre-planned it, mm-hmm. but it was so, it was so healing. And then just to have him on board was so healing, mm-hmm. you know, where it wasn't even a question. It was like, yes, of course, because he, he saw me suffering so much the first time around, right. you know? Right. And I mean, the goal is to not have the suffering in the first place. Absolutely. Right? So. Yeah. And it's incredible that in our culture, we see it as a luxury because all around the world, like you were saying, like throughout time, no matter what the socioeconomic status, there would be that support. So in some ways I feel like we're more isolated. Mm -hmm. We're putting more on mothers than in cultures that maybe even would be thought of as poorer, Yeah, but they have that support around them. They have someone cooking, they have an extra set of hands to help with the other children. And it, you know, when you boil all this down, it is simple. And that's what I love about it too. It's a simple thing. If you don't have a ton of money, you don't have to have a lot of money. You can have veggie broth and veggie stews and rice. I mean, that's pretty cheap. And that's a very healing postpartum diet. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the bone broths and all the other spices and the other fancier things are fabulous. And I love them. Mm -hmm. But if people have the education, they can make it work within their means. Absolutely. And it's just having the family around. And, you know, in LA, most of us don't have the family around. So that's mm-hmm. why I feel like we have all these duels and it's amazing. But if we really go back to grassroots, it's simple stuff. I mean, yeah. all the the people all over the world that have very little to zero money and they're, they're doing it because it's a consciousness of supporting the moms, mm-hmm. keeping them warm keeping herbal teas in them, soups, stews, you know. And that. also emotional support. Yeah. You know, I feel like so often as a postpartum doula, you know, I can come and I can do all these great things, but half the time mom just wants me to sit there and yeah. she, she needs a good cry. She yeah. needs to be told you're doing an amazing job. Totally. Yes, your baby's screaming for the third hour straight, mm-hmm. but you're doing amazing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's worth gold. Totally. And just normalizing it. Like, yeah, you're right on track. Like this feels crazy, but you're, this is normal. This mm-hmm. is normal post-birth, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we, we don't see it. We're not used to it and we don't know what it, that looks like. Yeah. And that's such a huge topic of like, what is normal yeah. post-birth? Because normal can look like crying every day. Mm-hmm. And then where do you find that line between right okay, we need to pull in extra support mm-hmm. because you don't need to be suffering yeah. to this degree. Yeah. So having someone who's really seen a lot and can give that kind of feedback, it's really valuable as well. Totally. And having the self-awareness. So, and I know you work with women throughout their entire pregnancy and even before when they're trying to conceive. And I think, you know, viewing our bodies and our lives as women as a continuum. You know, I feel like in our culture, especially we're broken up into these like parts of our lives, like preteen, teen, 20 year old hottie, you know, 30 year old (laughs) mom, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like menopause, but it's all the same us. It's all Mm -hmm. the same body. And so the more work we do throughout the whole process, the better off we are. So the more you know yourself before you're even, even thinking about conceiving, the better, because then you really know what your quote unquote normal is. And then, you know, when it shifts, you know, one thing I love one of my um, 
interviewees was talking about this of how it's such a great idea for every pregnant mom to have that connection with a therapist, even if you are kind of like, my life's great. Like everything's really going along, but just mm-hmm. to have that, that starting point. And so you have a couple of sessions with someone that really kind of knows where you are mentally and emotionally, and then you can check back in with them postpartum. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was like a really good thing to do. Just to have the support already in place. Yeah. yeah. If you need it, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe you don't, but. Well, and I think what you're saying about it being the same us is so essential. And, and it's, it's so true that there is this kind of schism around, okay, you know, you're a 20 something and now you're a mom as if that's going to be like an, a total unknown. Right. And I talk about this with women and their births too, is that it's like birth is not something that's happening to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to meet yourself mm-hmm. like, whoa, <laughs> like yes, you will. parts of yourself <laughs> that you didn't necessarily know were there mm-hmm. or want mm-hmm. to see. But it's not like this external random thing. Totally. It's like you're getting the curriculum for the next leg of the journey. And mm, that's not to I say that, that it's going to look anything like you expect it to. Right. But it's going to be you. Yeah. And so I, I talk about that with my moms who have experienced pregnancy loss as well. Is it's like if you're wanting to be a mother and have another child this is what you go through in this phase is the birth of you as a mother. Mm. It's not like, oh, we need to deal with this loss so that you can become pregnant to now become the mother that you're going to be. It's yeah. like you said, all part of that it's continuum. All part of it, yeah. And it continues, you know, all those like little deaths of self also open up to new growth and amazingness, you know? It's like, I'm so much stronger as a mom now. It's like, I get so much more shit done by 10 a.m. than I ever did. Mm. It's like astounding, you know? It just, it changes us and it pushes us. And yeah, it's so interesting, the journey Mm. constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's so important to give credit for those transformations Mm. that may not be leading to the result that you thought you were going to have. Like I've worked with mothers who are on their third, fourth. I have a mom coming to my support group next week who's on her eighth miscarriage. Mm. And it's like to really acknowledge if this is not just something that's happening again for, for no, that it's, it's just, it's not a pure tragedy. Yes. There's a loss in that, Mm -hmm. but the you that's being born with each consecutive experience is a new you. That's you as a mother, just like when Goldie was born, it's mm-hmm. like, you're a new mother now than you were mm, totally. after Jemima. And it still is shocking. I still am like, what? I had another one. <laughs> <laughs> she's 19 months. That she's just, a person. She's, she's a, a person. Per- she's a full-on person living her life. It's hilarious. It's so funny. She puts her backpack on. She's like, bye. Oh my God. Segwaying, because I don't know, just my memory just got jostled. Something I just wanted to thank you for is when I was pregnant and... I was down in Laguna for that summer and we were talking about a client thing. And I was telling you about my intention for being with Davy Kalsa, my mm. midwife. And it was such a beautiful kind of reflection of what I was sharing. And when I was sharing with you what I wanted my birth to be, you were like, yeah, that's going to happen. I see it. That's totally what's going to happen. And it was such a, I just want to say thank you for that mm. because you know, these little things that people tell us, we never know what's going to be the greatest gift of our words, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
it really empowered me because there was that part of me that was really intending and wanting an outcome of my birth, but then also not wanting to set myself up for disappointment like I did with the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I don't know, it just, it felt, it made me feel really strong going into mm. it. So thank you for that. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, and it was just so true for me in that moment, mm. not only because of knowing you and knowing who you are and, you know, you and I taught prenatal yoga mm-hmm. together years before. Mm-hmm. And I remember just watching the way you taught and seeing so clearly seeing who you are as a woman. Mm. And I like to say a woman births as she lives. Yes. So if you really see a woman and, and you know yourself, you, you, it's not like we know exactly how long the labor is going to be or exactly yeah. how it's going to unfold, but you know that she has that mm. piece. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that I think in that moment just made me so clear in your birth is you articulated it so clearly. Mm. You were willing to say, this is my vision. And as a doula, that's something that I'm seeing a lot lately that makes me so sad is women who are afraid to say, this is what I want Mm -hmm. because it's become so popular to say, well, we we can't control that, you know, to the point that women aren't even writing a birth plan. They're writing birth preferences, which on the one hand, I think it's absolutely important to be flexible, Mm -hmm. to be open, to know that this is a co-creation with life itself and your baby's journey and that we can't control everything. But I think it would be tragic to not allow ourselves to want what we want and to have permission to nurture that vision and to really dream into it to the point where we can put the pieces in place to really set ourselves up for that. Like you did hiring a midwife, Mm. which I know in your case, you had some questions about that at the beginning. It was like, is this, should I even go this route if I might not get it? Yeah, exactly. I love so many things you just said. And I think it's really, really important to have that conversation with people and you know, with everything with birth and postpartum and death and life, it's all the paradoxes, you know, there's no just light and dark. It's everything. It's all the gray. And I do see that a lot as well, where when we're like, I'm just, we'll see what happens. And it's like, it's like, good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. Cause I know where that's going. That's going to a emergency quote unquote C-section, you know, Um, or just the assembly line of, you know, how how they, how they're going to do it. Totally. The assembly line, the factory farming of hospital care. And I don't say that in like anti-hospital way, but- But if you don't you go in with an intention. Yourself. Yes, yeah. you need an intention and you need to know how the system works so that you can work within that system to try to fight for what you want and have the outcome you want. Or just ask for what you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do think it's akin, you know, birth and marathon is like that very overused metaphor, but I will use it again. Oh, I but, wouldn't say overused. Okay. It's- but, such a marathon. But you don't just like wake up one day and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go like try to run the marathon. Like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Like, you're not going to run it. Yeah, you, have you can't to train. pull like, your birth yeah. out of a Cracker Jack box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you you got to get your mind in the game. Yeah. You have to have done your work. You have to prepare your body. You have to be strong as fuck and like yeah. be in the game with it. And, you know, I do, I know when I talk to my clients that, it's going to, their birth is often going to go one way by their verbiage, like mm-hmm. you were just sharing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not my place to tell them or like 
I mean, I can guide them if they're, they want that feedback, but it's also their journey, you know? I mean, I can say the same of myself with my first birth. I was not ready. I thought I was ready for home birth. I was not ready for home birth with my first. Mm. And now that I've done a home birth and I know what it entails, I wasn't ready. Mm. And, you know, I had guilt and shame over that. But then now that I've done it, it's like, yeah, I just wasn't ready. Like, What do you think you needed that you didn't have that would have helped you be ready that first time? Um, a lot more courage to not be a people pleaser. Mm. I had a lot of red flags with my caregivers that now I'd be like, uh-uh, you know, I'll lose that deposit. I'll lose that money mm. and I will find the care that I really need and want. Um, but I hadn't done it before. And I was like, oh, I guess everyone just feels this way or, you know, things like that. Like even to the backup doctor, David and I went and interviewed him, the backup doctor that my midwives used and leaving the appointment. We're like, thank God we're not gonna have to see him because he's such an asshole. Mm. And of course that's who I birthed with, you oh. know? So just being a lot more mindful of those things. Mm. And also- I wasn't prepared to physically go through it unmedicated. Mm. I did end up getting an epidural, not a lot of you know, teeny little hits so my body could relax. But mm-hmm. for me and the way the birth and a natural birth manifests in my body, it 100% feels like a death. And mm. in the home birth, I was like, I'm dying. Like, this is what's happening is I'm dying. Mm. And it was that utter surrender and, you know, Two minutes later, I pushed her out. So I was like at that precipice, but I was willing to be cracked open. Mm. And the first time I wasn't, I was so fearful and like clutching and not open to it. I'm getting chills. So, but it was incredible because it healed me. It healed all my trauma from my first birth. And it's like, that's what our bodies are made to do. Mm -hmm. Birthed her, felt amazing. All my natural drugs felt great, you Mm. know? Mm-hmm. And it's such a perfect system, mm-hmm. you know? And and I know there are so many parts that have to align and every woman has a different story. Every baby has a different story. But I was just so happy that A, I'd really done the work. I had the support team I wanted. I had no like monetary restrictions to get the care I want, which is a huge privilege yeah. that I'm aware of yeah. and honor and feel very, very lucky and blessed about that. And- it just worked for me that day, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was by far, I would think, and it will be for the rest of my life, the single best thing I've done for myself. Like the power I have, or like the, I'm so proud of myself for doing it. It's mm-hmm. like a pride that just nothing else touches mm. that I did that. Mm. It's like nothing, no one can take that away from you, you know? Yeah. Like that happened. Well, you really met yourself. I mean, yeah. when you talk about that moment of like actually feeling like a death, mm-hmm. it is a death in a way. It's yeah. like a rebirth of a you that is being born. And yeah. for, for any birth to happen, the old has to die. Totally. Yeah. And I, I don't think people talk about that, you know, and we can jump into two like death and loss and mm-hmm. how it's like this dark word that no one wants to use. And even in my birth, I screamed the whole time. I'm mm. not, a, I don't like to scream. I don't like to yell. I'm not used to it. I didn't grow up with that. Like it's very uncomfortable to me. And I remember like being in circles or like birth groups and people like moaning and practicing moaning. And like, that was the most uncomfortable. Like I just wanted to run for the hills. Like mm. it's so uncomfortable. And mm. this time I was like, no, I'm going to allow myself to yell and be vocal. And mm. it was incredible. I mean, yeah. it really helped me birth her. And just being like that wild primal animal, which I wasn't allowing myself the first. Like I bit David 
they <laughs> I don't even know what happened. They're, they're not make, to scare any dads. Not might to be scare like, any of you. Sorry if this is like triggering. But when they they got me out of the pool and they're like, we're just gonna walk into the, your bedroom now. And I was like, I can't. I could not even like lift open my eyelids, much mm. less walk. So I was kind of like hung over, and I just bit his chest. And it was so <laughs> funny. I forgot about it. And then a couple of days later, I like you know turned over to give him a hug, and he flinched. Oh no! And I was like, are you? Did I bite you the other day? And he's like, yeah, I'm a little scared. <laughs> oh like, sorry, goodness. that was my animal. Well, that brings up an interesting point of how, you know, we are in this really interesting time where men are in the delivery mm-hmm. room for the yeah. first time in all of time. Yeah. And how we're asking men to be in this role that in some ways is kind of like against mm-hmm. their nature, like yeah. against the male brain of like, you know, they've done this, the study I saw where there was a male partner attending birth and then the female birth attendant, the doula. And at the peak of intensity in transition contractions, in, in contraction after contraction, the male partner would move away at the mm. peak of intensity and the female attendant would move towards oh, wow. the laboring woman. So it's just so interesting how we're seeing these men, you know, like your Mm -hmm. husband that can be there in that moment and be that rock. Um, And I just think that's such an exciting time for relationships and for the masculine to be able to find that Mm -hmm. um, when they were really excluded for so many centuries that even, even when birth moved into the hospitals, you know, in the twenties and all the way through the 60s and 70s, it was like men were in the waiting room. Yeah, smoking cigars. Smoking a cigar, they weren't even allowed in. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And how all of those women, I mean, for many reasons, but even in just that one respect, feeling so abandoned. Yeah. And it's interesting because David always grew up hearing his dad say, they wouldn't let me be with your mother when she birthed mm. you. And I wanted so to be there. Mm. And that was in the... He was born in 1960, so it was a long time ago. And even his dad like wanted to be in there and he couldn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, David's very in his feminine about those things. Like he, with both pregnancies, we'd be watching birth videos and I would just kind of be grossed out and like horrified. Like I definitely have a real prudish aspect of me that was <laughs> way more with the first. Um, but he'd be the one crying, be like, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And I'm like, let's just fast forward the like <laughs> opening vagina part. But um, he caught her this time and wow. it was incredible. And wow. yeah, and so healing for him and powerful for him. And that's yeah. what I loved so much about Davy, our midwife, is she gave him such confidence and helped him empower himself. Like our last appointment with her before I gave birth, she was like, okay, David, so if I don't make it in time, this is how you're going to deliver your baby. Amazing. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll have you on speed dial. And she's like, yep, I'll be talking you through it, but this is what it's going to look like. And you're going to get her in this position. And and it was just so cool, mm. you know, not to have that fear. Yeah. And I think that's one of the marks of a really good birth attendant, whether midwife or doula, is to really acknowledge that we're not replacing the partner. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly some relationships. And of course, you know, with single mothers where we would, you know, yeah. there's, there's some relationships where both partners are really clear. Like, I don't really want him to be involved in that way. I want yeah. you to be my primary support, but I'm seeing more and more dads who really want mm-hmm. to be in that role of primary support. They just need support kind of knowing what to do. Yeah. 
because it can be really intimidating and confronting even, you know, talk about the limbic imprint. If they were born in a way where their dad maybe shut down and, you know, blanked out or wasn't allowed in the room, Mm -hmm. that can be just on an unconscious level kind of in their wiring. It can be an overwhelm situation. So to have a doula there or a birth attendant there to kind of say like, hey, dad, do you want to like sit behind her and Mm -hmm. hold her or, you know, can you go get us some ice or, you know, whatever the situation is. You're facilitating, you're holding that space for both of them. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, I think it's important to also state that, you know, not all partners are going to be great at that. And just knowing yourself and knowing your partner and like, maybe I don't put all this expectation on him or her Mm -hmm. that I know they're really not ready for. And I'm just going to have that conversation. And like, let's be honest about where we both are and what, as the birthing mom, you really need. And for some people, that's going to have your doula be your A person. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that either. Mm -hmm. I just think there's, there's so much beauty in having the partners and especially the males step into this femininity like we've been talking about. And also not everyone's up for that. And so like reducing those expectations that are going to be squashed, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's a really high subset of dads who want to be involved. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how. Exactly. Yeah. And so that can easily turn into, I don't want to be involved. You go ahead and do it. Yeah. But if you really kind of look under the hood, it's like, oh, he actually mm-hmm. would like to just know how to be there. Yeah. And the number one thing that I tell dads is you really don't have to do mm-hmm. anything. There's This is not rocket science. Yeah. This works based on the love and support you're able to provide, which is already probably what they're doing yeah. in the relationship. Not mm-hmm. every relationship, of yeah. course, but in a lot of cases, it's just giving them permission to just be there and have that be enough and give that presence and affection and reassurance. Because a lot of times a dad will know what to say when I don't, Mm -hmm. because I could never know a client Mm -hmm. as deeply as he does. Yeah. And that's such an important aspect of just being, I mean, postpartum too, so many of my clients like, what do I do now? And I'm like this Mm -hmm. be, yeah, that's enough. (laughs) You know, you're doing a lot. Absolutely. And that's actually the same thing that I talk about with my couples who've experienced loss is in the emotional intensity after a loss, a lot of times partners want to know, what can I do? I'm obviously grieving as well, but I'm not going through anything near what she's going through physically and emotionally. And to really have permission for being there to be enough Mm. on both sides Mm -hmm. is such a huge you know, it, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's actually something that a lot of times we're not giving ourselves permission to have that be enough. It's like, we think we need to do something. Mm-hmm. And so we're backing away when what our partner really needs is us to just show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sit there just be there. Yeah. So segueing into your loss work, I would like to know how you're working with women in the loss realm and what led you that? Well, my perspective is that with every birth, there's a loss Mm. and with every loss, there's a birth. So I had attended a number of births that ended in non-birth outcomes, one in the second trimester, one much later than that, Mm. well into the third trimester. And it was really from those experiences as well as experiences in my personal life 
that I came to see what a deficit we have in this area of a lack of support. I mean, it was incredible to me at one of the stillbirths that I, t- I attended. And, and, you know, the nurses, I really want to give them credit because they were wonderful on the one hand, like, you know, beautiful and supportive and, you know, incredibly wonderful with my client. But at the same time, I could just see how, how many individuals were uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and understandably so, you know, it's kind of like, and of course they're uncomfortable, but I was watching one of the nurses do a final ultrasound on one of my clients that had had a late term termination and her hand was shaking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as she's holding the ultrasound equipment and I just felt so deeply for my client in that moment of like, she's already going through her own experience. And now she's having to say things to try to make the nurse more comfortable. And it really, you know, it was such a simple moment, but it also just showed me how important it is to have Mm. awareness around this stuff. Because statistically speaking, almost every woman alive at some point will go through either a termination or a miscarriage or some other kind of loss. Mm. You know, one in three, one in three pregnancies is a miscarriage. Wow. Um, especially after age 35 for women. And especially now also as male partners are getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with, you know, the rise in fertility treatments, that's also increasing loss experiences. Mm-hmm. And one in five, one in four, depending on the statistic you look at, women will have an abortion at some point mm-hmm. in their lives. So this mm-hmm. is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but it's something that we're, there really is very little support around. So one of the things I do here in Los Angeles is I facilitate miscarriage and abortion support groups. Mm, I love that. And it's incredible to me that our support group at Loom is really one of the only groups, not only in the city, but I have women driving up from San Diego Wow! to attend the abortion support oh, I group. I just got chills. That's so incredible. So- yeah, it's incredible that in a place like Los Angeles, we're really the only group of yeah, that kind. And that's like an anomaly. Yeah. And then for women that are wanting, you know, more intensive individualized support, I also do loss coaching mm, there awesome. and I work with couples. So I think that's such an important piece of then getting pregnant again and having a safe pregnancy or if you miscarry again. I mean, it's again, coming back to that, it's all one body, your body. Absolutely. And that's something that I actually see a lot in, you know, this is a really natural way to cope through the bargaining phase of grief. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these phases of grief that can take place with a loss. And I oftentimes see with abortion as well, actually, Mm -hmm. surprisingly, this kind of urgency to get pregnant again. Yeah. And I've worked with families who had like, you know, late-term miscarriage, for example, that the loss was so intense that it became like a total preoccupation of when can I get pregnant again? And I always tell those families, this is your golden time to really heal. Because trust me, that pregnancy is not going to be, you're not going to feel the way you want to feel in that Mm -hmm. pregnancy if this piece isn't processed. Because pregnancy has a magical way of bringing up everything we've ever felt so true. that we haven't yeah, consciously dealt with. Dealt with. Yeah. yeah. And that goes for loss. That goes for, you know, history of trauma. That goes with relationship to our bodies. Physically speaking, do you think there is a 
timeline about when you should try to conceive again? I mean, obviously it depends on where you are in your journey of grief processing, but just from the, say everything emotionally, spiritually is kind of on point physically. Do you recommend a certain amount of time has passed? Depending on the reason for the loss. Mm -hmm. So if it's a termination, oftentimes they'll say that they need to wait three menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm depending again on the reason for the termination. There's actually a lot of terminations happening now um, in the second trimester. Mm. And that's because women are getting this blood test around 10 to 12 weeks where they can test for all of these chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times you're not getting the results back from that until 10 or 12 weeks. Mm. And then they might order additional testing. So by the time they really have a clear diagnosis, you're now you know, 16 weeks pregnant. Um, So there's a huge rise in terminations happening at that time. And at that time, the body, I feel, you know, that's closer to the line of actually giving birth. Mm. It's not considered a stillbirth until I believe 24 weeks, 20 20 to 24 weeks. Um, But, you know, to really allow your body that postpartum process, Mm -hmm. because physiologically it's it's really similar. You need a good, you know, couple months to really just regain homeostasis. And so I would say, you know, and of course there's always exceptions and there's always individual cases, but just as a really broad minimum, I would say three cycles. And it can take some time, of course, after a loss, just to return to having a cycle. Yeah. Just the very few women I've worked with that had recurring miscarriages, you know, that were really trying to, it's true. They really try to get pregnant ASAP. Yeah. And I don't know, for some reason I was like, you, uh, I feel like six months and, you know, six months kind of became that lucky place for them, you know, cause if yeah. they would get, if they conceive sooner, they would miscarry again. Yeah. So it's just so interesting the way the body works. Yeah, body it is heals. interesting. And it's, it's also really interesting to see our individual relationships to our yeah. bodies. So with miscarriage, for example, you know, I've worked with women who are much more able to just kind of see it as a continuum of their bodies. And okay, you know, for whatever reason that pregnancy didn't take, and it's it's less about finding answers medically and going and taking tests and more just about kind of allowing the rhythm of life to move as she does. In other cases, you know, obviously if you're on like a third or a fourth loss or you want to go and get the testing and know exactly what's going on. And so depending on what that's saying, it might be that certain things need to happen nutritionally or right. certain things need to happen medically yeah. to really prepare to not set yourself up for another loss. Are you seeing an increase in miscarriages or are we just more aware of it now because we're sharing our stories and talking about it? Or do you think there's a lot environmentally going on? I mean, I know IVF can also there's a lot of infertility issues and that can up the percentages of miscarriages, but it just, it just seems like keeps increasing. Yeah. I mean, we are waiting later to have babies. So that's part of it. Um, And miscarriage of course can happen at any age and to anyone. I do think that environmental things are absolutely linked to our fertility. Everything from you know, just the fact that many women have been on birth control for many years before trying to conceive. So that's going to have an effect physiologically. Um, And then we have 
quite a estrogenic environment. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of endocrine disruptors in our environment Mm -hmm. from pesticides can be endocrine disruptors. Um, And then with genetically modified foods, we're having foods that the seeds were designed to withstand higher levels of pesticides. Mm. So that's affecting our bodies. And reliance on animal foods, which also contain not only artificial hormones, but in the case of milk, for example, even if there isn't the recombinant bovine growth hormone added to the milk, the milk itself, the hormones in that milk, is what was designed for a mother calf to pass on to her baby calf. So there's going to be a lot of hormones in that as well. So, you know, there's a huge controversy about that and the impact Mm -hmm. of dairy on fertility. Mm -hmm. You have some camps saying to drink whole milk because there's more of a balance of hormones when you're getting the whole fat Mm -hmm. in the milk with the rest of the compounds Mm -hmm. the compounds in the milk. And then I also work with fertility experts that say like, just as a first line, absolutely eliminating dairy is like, mm-hmm. you know, fertility 101. Yeah. So that could also be a matter of like individually what works for that woman based on her genetics and based on yeah. other lifestyle factors. But yeah, everything from our cleaning chemicals to mm-hmm. our hairspray to- yeah, and everything. Yeah, air freshener, dry cleaning, mm-hmm. um, that can absolutely- affect fertility yeah, and our ability to maintain a pregnancy because one of the top endocrine imbalances imbalances is estrogen dominance. Mm-hmm. And so when we're having all these estrogenic compounds in our environment, it can exacerbate that. Are there any rituals that you help your clients do after a loss, especially a stillbirth? Are there any, mm-hmm. for anyone that's listening that may have gone through that or- you know, a miscarriage later on or just a miscarriage that really deeply impacted them. Yeah. Are there easy or things that they can do on their own to facilitate their healing? Yeah. Yeah. With stillbirth specifically, and this is a unique case because there's, there's actually a birth that's happening. Personally, in my practice, what I've seen work best is to really allow the family time to connect with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be counterintuitive to some, you know, I've definitely worked with dads that like, just did not think that was a good idea. Yeah. Um, but in my experience, really allowing that time and having it not be rushed yeah. um, and giving them the privacy and the space to say anything they need to say, to hold their mm-hmm. baby, to kiss their baby. Some like to take pictures and keep those. And I think that's something really important to be aware of you know, if anyone listening has a friend who's gone through this or a family member who's gone through this is time and time again, my clients tell me that they want to be allowed to have that full spectrum of emotion that they have in the experience. And sometimes it's actually pride. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's joy and love for their baby and to be able to have that reflected by their loved ones. So, you know, if I were to have someone show me a picture, for example, of their baby, to be able to really mirror what they're feeling, Mm -hmm. which might not be sadness in that Mm -hmm. moment. So with any kind of loss, you know, to surround yourself with people who are really allowing you space to feel how you feel and not projecting their own ideas of what that experience was for you onto the situation. And most of us are so uncomfortable with death. So it's really unfortunate. Are 
any hospitals in LA, do they give people that time? Well, they are required by law. I mean, it's your baby. Yeah. So and it's, you know, similar to birth in the sense that what you ask for, yeah, yeah. You, you get to have that. That's yours. Absolutely. I remember reading an article in Australia where they're having these rooms now where you can go and lie with your, your baby that's passed mm. and, you know, up for like 24 hours. Mm. You know, it may sound weird, but it's so not weird to me, this idea of being with a dead body. It's what people did for thousands of years because it's the way our brain and heart can accept that they're gone. Mm -hmm. They've left their body. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but I did death midwifery training. And so we actually learned like how to keep a body on dry ice for three days mm. and do home funerals. Mm. And you can do that with your baby as well. And I mean, I know that might really freak some people out hearing that, but it is a way to process organically. And then by three days, you really understand that that spirit is gone yeah. and you're able to release the body with love. Yeah. And it's not this trauma because we just hear, oh, someone's gone and dead and then we never see them again. And there's no processing and our brains cannot catch up with that. So mm -hmm. every death in that way is a trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an, a key component to share is even if you're devastated that you've lost your baby, it's still this miracle that you've been talking to every day and that you grew and you have this connection. So to see that perfect little baby that isn't alive, but it's still your baby. I mean, of course you want to be with it. Absolutely. And ugh, it just breaks my heart that people, that we don't, we're not given that. Women are given that. Well, we rush everything. Everything. You know, and so I think the number one thing in answer to your question about ritual after loss is to really slow things down. Mm -hmm. And that includes the conversation we were having about like speeding up to let's conceive again, because yeah. we're skipping a whole experience that we haven't even given our whole selves to really process and yeah. catch up with. Um, you know, and we see that in birth too, where it's like the baby's born and immediately kind of just plopped on the mother's chest. Mm -hmm. And if we were to like take a beat, yeah, you know, that that can be a much slower process, mm -hmm. even that moment. Yeah. I know we're rushing in nature. We're just rushing it all. Yeah. So with miscarriage, I think that those rituals are really individual. Mm -hmm. And what I like to do is kind of lead with the ritual by following, like what are her mm -hmm. instincts? Some things that I've found to be really supportive are encouraging women to get out in nature. Mm -hmm. um, healing. Yeah, silence. And again, like slowing things down yeah. to, to really allow yourself to feel the loss mm -hmm. because culture isn't going to give that time to us. Right. You know, we're going to be encouraged to get back to work, get yeah. back to routine, get, you know, especially if there's other children involved, you're going to have to be taking care of them. Yeah. So whatever it is that will give you space and time and silence mm. to really allow whatever's there to come up and out and come to the surface to be fully felt. Key component to connect with mama nature, because when we are attuned to her, we realize it's all part of everything, right? I mean, yeah. we're all part of the process every day. Yeah. And there is something to the rhythms of nature that I think mirror birth and loss mm -hmm. with, you know, if you just experience like the ocean waves coming in and rolling out mm -hmm. and the way the sun rises 
and falls and the moon rises. And, you know, these cycles are in our bodies and to really normalize, to normalize that and to reconnect with, Mm -hmm. with that natural rhythm, because something that I see a lot is, you know, like you were saying earlier, women feeling like a failure Mm -hmm. if they have a miscarriage or if they have multiple miscarriages, as if this is somehow something that shouldn't have happened. And to really just get in touch with that continuum of birth and loss as part of the continuum Mm -hmm. as of bringing life into the world. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm, So many good things you've shared. Mm. Like I keep talking and talking. Is there anything (laughs) you'd like to wrap up with or do you Mm. feel like You know, just along those same lines, something that comes to mind that I'll share that that might be a really controversial perspective, but I've had no shortage of those today. (laughs) I remember when I welcome here. Yeah. When I first became a doula, I was working with a mentor and I had kind of hand picked this particular midwife. I'd done a lot of research and decided who I wanted to shadow and work with. And I took her to lunch and she said, Ivy, why? why did you want to work with me? And I said, well, because I was, I was researching and I, I was told that you were the midwife that was most supportive of natural birth, Mm -hmm. that like women were most likely to have a natural birth if they birth with you. And she kind of smiled and she looked up and she just said, Ivy, (laughs) I don't do natural birth. And I, I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, in a natural birth, babies die. Babies are allowed to die. Mm. And I'm not allowed to let babies die. I, I, am, I have to make sure that they live because midwives can literally go to jail in yeah. certain circumstances if they haven't done certain interventions, you know, to, to ensure that. And so that was, that was a really pivotal moment for me because of course, in a birth, of course, especially at home, we're going to do everything possible to ensure the life of the child. But the reality is that not all babies live, whether you're at home, whether you're in a hospital, whether you're a perfectly healthy woman or whether there was complications to begin with, health complications. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that also not only normalizing the aspect of pregnancy loss, that statistically speaking, one in three pregnancies will end in a loss, Mm. but also just looking at the fact that even in the case of a loss during or after birth, this is a part of nature too. And if you look at the animal kingdom, any litter, usually there will be one, Mm -hmm. whether it's one kitten or one baby wolf that doesn't make it. And that is just a part of birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're changing just the natural rhythm of things as we wait. So we're so much older too. So we kind of have all eggs in one basket, literally, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's been a pleasure to have you. So So many good things. And um, thank you for shedding some light on the lost work that you're doing. It's so important. And I'm just really glad that you are bringing that to LA moms and women because it's such an important aspect of our lives and our journey as women. So thank you for that. It's my honor to thank you, McLean. Bye. Bye.